If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you, listen. TNT. Morning. Happy Monday. It's uh, Open Line. I'm Natalie Chill. Rick Munn and Gemma Cooper are here as well. It's the 15th of January 2024. Hope you enjoyed the debut of Sonia Poulton and Abby Roberts this morning. Uh, but I'm a happy girl because look what I have. And I saw Holly in the chat this morning, so she'll be impressed. But anyone that can see... I have my Caramac bars. Uh, I had a lovely trip to B&M on uh, Saturday. Rick, I found them. The last stock. Uh-huh. They're, uh, they're, uh, date is the, uh, by April I have to eat them, but with the amount of sugar in them, I think I'll be all right uh, if I savour them slowly, don't you think? Yeah, is that because uh, it's the last stock that they have or yeah. they actually yeah. genuinely discontinue them so you just yeah. will not be able to get them after? Uh, yeah, after this is this will be the last stock. I have people from around the country then saying, can I have some? Send them to me. Uh, and apparently the dark bounty is the same. Uh, but uh, mm. the Freddo as well, I thought, you know, we've got someone, Chris Lewis, coming to talk about the UK economy. But important before we go there to talk about the Freddo price index. Now, I did check on Wikipedia. I got the information wrong last Time. They did start at 10p, the Freddos. Uh, they're selling normally for 30p now, a Freddo, but some shops are selling them for up to 49p. Now, I did get a bargain. So if we're talking about the Freddo price index, this is a pack of five I managed to get in B&M for a pound. So Ooh. despite the fact that everything else has gone up, uh, I normally spend about 40 to 60 pound in B&M. I nearly had a heart attack at what, uh, about 100 pound when it went through. It was the first time uh, really that I'd seen the true impact of the cost of lockdown crisis. But yes, I have a bargain in the way of Freddo's, Rick. So I should be happy, right? Um, if I can get a Freddo at a good price, then at least they're doing something right. Don't put it in a plastic bag, though, whenever you're going to buy it, because our local supermarket charges 26p for a white, plain plastic bag. If you go up market to Marks and Spencer's, they charge 40p, 40p for a plastic bag. So you can actually buy a single Fredo for, what, 39p, stick it in a plastic bag at 40p. That damn thing could end up costing you the best part of a quid. That's a thousand percent inflation where I come from on the Fredo price index so yeah well noted well noted and congratulations by the way on the carmax i did ask you if you bought them all you did say that you left a few for other people i don't believe it for one second i reckon you emptied b&m liberated all those carmax at the weekend and you're going to be chomping on them between now and april it was a selfless act, Rick. You know, I wanted other people to experience the same joy as me. Plus, I probably didn't have the money to buy the whole the whole box. So uh, I did. I did. A, maybe it wasn't so selfless. But uh, yeah, I left a get few. A get a crowdfunder. Get a crowdfunder for you. Uh, go, go fund me for you for your Carmack addiction. <laughs> we'll see yeah. if you can get all the Freddos or all the Carmacks and Freddos in B and M in the UK. Let's yeah. make it happen. Let's make it happen, people. Yeah, and I thought, uh, as we're on the food topic, uh, my favourite dinner is a Sunday lunch. And I I realised yesterday that most uh, British people are savages. And uh, I eat my Sunday roast one bit at a time. I have since a kid. So I have it with gravy, so carrots, then broccoli, then swede, then then the meat, then the Yorkshires, and always end with the roast potatoes. And I just cannot believe that most people online yesterday said they either mix it together or they have to put each bit on their fork so i'm absolutely i knew rick was going to be a savage uh i, I take it you you mix up all your roasting 
Thank you, Rick. Uh, don't mix it. Don't mix it up as such. We had a lovely roast yesterday. Got the best, uh, greatest butcher in the world living close by now. Fantastic guy. Big top side of beef, carrots, parsnips, roast potatoes, and gravy. That's all that's on my plate. I don't mash it all together. But yeah, I don't eat things individually one at a time because well, by the time I get to the end, then stuff will be cold. So you know, I like to combine the flavors, and uh, yeah, that's the way I go at it. How you do that one item at a time? Do you only put one little piece of carrot on your fork at the same time? No, as well, I, I can, or do you I load can, up the fork. I can load up the fork, but I have to taste oh, each individual. I got proper British etiquette, me. I'm, okay, I'm a okay. posh bird. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to believe it, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to tell myself that anyway. Uh, with time. Time now uh, to introduce Gemma, so don't go away here at TNT. It's the stuff. What citizen wouldn't want to make American great again? People are talking about. Vilifying MAGO if it's not going to work. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Morning, Gemma. Are you a savage or have you got some British etiquette and do you eat a roast dinner the correct way? Well, I was having to think. I was like, well, how do I eat it? I don't normally think about how I eat it, but <laughs> the way you eat it, Natalie, reminds me of that um, really famous Hollywood film producer. Was it Howard Hughes? And he couldn't have his peas touching his meat, and he had, yeah. his, he had a lot of idiosyncrasies about food, and I think he ended up becoming a recluse, and it didn't go too well for him. I'm not saying that's where you're headed with <laughs> this, but he, he started with his food and, and then ended with him. Yeah, there's a film made about it, isn't there? Leonardo DiCaprio yep. and everything. I, um, I was... Yeah. I was going to say, I also have to have baked beans in a pot. I can't have my baked beans juice touching any of my other food. So I am a little bit strange. You know, the queen, <laughs> you know, the queen had someone, I kid you not, she employed someone to remove the, the, the seeds from her tomatoes. Uh, when she ate tomatoes, she, she couldn't be having tomato seeds on her plate either. And there was someone employed by Buckingham Palace to de-seed wow. the queen's tomatoes. Maybe if we can uh, have a word with Mike and Jenny, we might be able to get your very own food segregator dispatched to Reading to ensure that your eating is always top-notch. There's a thought. What would you th- say to that now? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love a personal chef. Mike, if you'd like to do that for me, I'm I'm, I'm well up for the idea. Uh, sounds good, doesn't it, Gemma? It does indeed. And interesting about, uh, you know, getting tomatoes de-seeded at Buckingham Palace. I mean, there's all sorts of things that the servants do for the royals at Buckingham Palace, allegedly. I mean, I think it came out, I can't remember when this came out, but that Prince Charles has somebody to squeeze the toothpaste onto his toothbrush and help him get dressed. There's all sorts of other things that I won't even go near on air, live on air, but all sorts of things that the servants allegedly Royal do for bum them. Wiper. <laughs> Or I'm, I'm worse, I'm worse, I'm worse, but there's no way I'll go into it live on TNT because the lawyers will come after us. But I've heard all sorts of things in my career in the mainstream about what the servants will, will do. What's the word? Fluffer? Anyway, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> oh, quick, Gemma, Jack, go um, on to the next story. What's our breaking headline for today? Yeah, let's, let's go back to, moving yeah. swiftly on lest anyone's lawyers are listening um uh, yeah well of course it's um rishi sunak is is due to face parliament today to explain his actions of last week where he uh, steamed into yemen with uh, america and joe biden and, and undertook some military action without consulting parliament so he's due before the mps to kind of explain why this happened last last week he said the move was necessary and proportionate and risk because lives are being risked at sea uh, and operational um reasons 
Commons meant he couldn't tell Parliament uh, beforehand. He's not legally obliged to tell Parliament if he's going to take military action. But over the last few years, there has been this convention that, you know, you will open it up for debate in the Commons uh, and then it will kind of get tacitly approved. Um, most of the MPs now are coming out in support with him. The Tory MPs are saying they back him. Keir Starmer, leader of the opposition here in the UK, has said he backs the action as well. A lot of rebellion from the Labour backbenchers. So we'll see where that goes this afternoon. That's when he's expected to address the House of Commons is this afternoon. But what's interesting today is on top of this headline that he will explain his actions is that uh, there's been a, a very significant poll done and it shows that the Conservative Party are facing a, a defeat uh, very similar to the one in 1997 where it was a landslide victory for Labour. Uh, and the predictions are that they will retain just 169 seats. And some are saying if it goes that badly, it could spell the end of the Conservative Party here. They'll be relegated, much like the Liberal Democrats who used to be a force of nature in UK politics. They're kind of like the also-rans now and they never really get a look in. Trouble is, of course, is if it's a 1997-style landslide in Labour's favour, who did we get in 1997? Tony Blair. Mm. That's who we got in 97. I mean, I think it's fair to say that most people listening to TNT or watching TNT will know that it doesn't really matter who gets in in terms of red or blue or Republican or Democrat or Conservative or Labour because the, the, the strings are pulled way higher uh, than, 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 than what we see in the House of Commons or in Congress. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that the World Economic Forum are having their annual conference at Davos today. That's where the real power lies and above them. Uh, we'll never see who's really in charge of us. Um, but yeah, so I think Rishi Sunak going before the Commons later to explain his his course of action last week is also a kind of attempt to assure the voters that even though this is the first military action he's taken since becoming the unelected prime minister back in 2022, it was justified, it was proportionate, it was necessary. He'll do his very best to you know make the headlines read well uh, because we do have an election coming up. Yeah, listening to that... Uh... Gemma, uh, you said about Kerr Starmer uh, backing every one of uh, Rishi's uh, uh, actions. Uh, he's not really in opposition at the moment, is he? Has he actually opposed anything in the last couple of years the Conservatives have put forward, Rick? No, he's not. And I mean, one thing that I can remember vividly from the scandemic years, which is now four years ago, when you think about it, we're coming up to the fourth anniversary of when the lockdowns all started. Karma, Keir Starmer just backed absolutely everything that Boris Johnson proposed in the House of Commons. Uh, he just basically was his bedfellow for that time about the lockdowns, about social distancing, about masking, about the jabs, about mandates and everything else. There was no opposition whatsoever uh, from Keir Starmer and the Labour Party. He just uh, nodded every time Johnson spoke. And it looks like he's doing exactly the same thing with uh, Grand Shops and Rishi Sunak when it comes to this business uh, in uh, the Red Sea with these strikes on Yemen as well. So uh, a wishy-washy, pasty, weak-ass man, if ever there was one, is Keir Starmer. Absolutely. I think as well, it, it does show that the, the, they, they are controlled by something else other than the, you know, the democratic process that the, he knows he has to back with these policies because they're global they're leading to the, towards the end result which is you know 2030 or or whether it be the control of food you know we, we've seen the german farmers today with their last day of protests in in berlin just galvanizing but of course it's not just german fathers and farmers and uk farmers are like to come out all these policies all these actions you know taken in lockstep last week with the with the us who we went in in lockstep he has to agree 
because he he doesn't care what we think on the ground. He's he's not listening to TNT. Well, maybe he is and thinking, oh no, Rick, Natalie, and Gemma are annoyed with me. He's thinking, what are the people above me thinking? How can I keep hold of this position? They're all power mad, aren't they? You know, they're all narcissistic psychopaths. They love it. Um, so he has to agree because he's watching those at the top. He's not watching us at the bottom. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah, they're not representative of the electorate at all. Um, and I saw that Grant Shapps has said the government will look again at further strikes. And I haven't seen anything about how many innocents have been killed. I mean, I've heard about the strikes. Uh, they're obviously trying to target the Hutu rebels. But um, do we know how many innocent people might have been injured in the strikes, Gemma? Well, this is very interesting because what is coming out uh, when they've done all this military action and including the one that happened yesterday with firing down that the US warship fired down that um, Houthi missile that was fired from a, a, a Yemen soil. Uh, they keep saying, oh, there's been no casualties. There's been no casualties. They're really, really hot on saying that. No injuries. Nobody was injured at all. Not even a tiny scratch of shrapnel. No, no, it was all fine. No, no civilian injury. No injuries. No, not to anybody. You're like, really? You do protest too much on this one. You know, it's what we're being yeah. told and the reality are probably miles apart yeah i'm thinking when i think airstrike it doesn't normally just just target one one particular person and leave um everything else without damage does it normally rick no, especially not an airstrike from the US or the UK. Normally they kill children uh, and indiscriminately bomb civilian areas or weddings or churches or gatherings of people of faith. So yeah, if there are no casualties and there's no shrapnel wounds, nothing at all, it has to be a first for a UK, US or NATO airstrike on a, an opposing force that there are no casualties. I find that one very hard to believe as well. But hey, what do I know? Yeah, and uh, I think one, I think one thing's for sure is we are not being told the whole truth. Uh, so we here at today's news talk will continue to try and get to the very bottom of the issue. Uh, thank you for bringing us that one, Gemma. We will see you tomorrow, and uh, we're going to introduce Chris Lewis and then Jim Ferguson as guests on the show. And don't forget to call in as well uh, at the last twenty minutes with me and Rick here at today's news talk. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. So I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality 
in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's gonna protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com The Net Zero Con will leave millions of citizens dependent on state handouts. It isn't a theory. It's an agenda. There is no climate emergency. On air 24-7. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Open Line. You can have your say at the end of the show and call in. But now we have got uh, Chris Lewis. He is Group Development Executive for InOnePlace.com and Operational Lead for Sense.Reserve.com. He specializes in wealth protection and macroeconomics. And he's here to talk to us about the state of the UK economy. Now, I did notice uh, not just the BBC, but all across the mainstream media, they were very happy to tell us uh, that there's been a rebound in November uh, after uh, the October had shrunk the month before. And they were, you know, trying to put it across as good news. Uh, so they seem to be trying to paint a positive picture, Chris. Is this the sign of economic growth they would want us to think it is? No. <laughs> as a it's simple the, answer. Yeah, it is the honest answer. I mean, uh, obviously, on the lead up to Christmas, November, December, there's always going to be, you know, sales in the shops and things of like that nature, and it, that creates um, economic growth on a short-term basis. On a long-term basis, we know that that's really not the case. The, there's been figures that have come out over the last year that the, 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 the um, Office of National Statistics bring out regarding GDP, and we can see that there's been a notable decline on in, in relation to GDP over the last you know, couple of years. Um, just looking at the first quarter of, of 2022, um, GDP was at 0.5%. The Q1 of 2023 has gone down to 0.3%. And Q3 of 2023, we're looking at a minus 0.1%. So yes, there may well have been a short-term increase um, in November, but that's nothing in terms of looking at the overall picture of of gdp and of growth um and the reality is we're heading in for a recession 
Yeah. And I was going to say, we had a, a financial expert on last week who said to look with your eyes. Now, uh, you missed this first part of the show talking about the Predo index. Uh, and if I look with my eyes, I can see in the shops that everything has gone up. When I went to B&M, uh, I, I was spending a hell of a lot more uh, for the normal things that I would normally buy. Uh, so, yeah. Where, is that what we should do rather than listening to these articles? Can can we actually look and see that we're more likely uh, to be going into recession and struggling? Yeah, I, th I think when you go into supermarkets, you can see that the prices of, of everything has gone up. And the reality is, is that the government will play around with consumer price indexes. They'll move products in and out of those indexes, depending on what they want the CPI to effectively be. If they want the CPI to be more positive, they will remove certain aspects out of the, the CPI index and they'll move certain aspects in. And that will paint a more rosy picture for them as the government, because they'll be able to say that you know, the government's growing, the economy's growing rather. The reality is that that's, that's not the case. Um, recession uh, is 100% is coming. I think if you look at GDI, which is the um, gross domestic income, which is actually a better indicator of, of the growth of the economy, that, that quite clearly shows that um, income is, is dropping and has been dropping for the last couple of years. Since the pandemic, the, the economy has not really recovered at all and income is dropping year on year on year. Um, and, and that is a much stronger um, indicator of the economy because ultimately it looks at income, whereas gross domestic product looks at the economy in terms of the workforce, the constituent industries of that workforce. It doesn't look at actual performance, whereas GDI does. And if you look at GDI as an indicator, it's a much stronger indicator of where we are actually at. Um, and, and just to go into a few other details as well, if you look at the bond market, for example, the bond market has been inverted for the last 18 months or so. And what that essentially means is that people don't have a particularly strong view of the long term economy. And when they're investing money in bonds, they're, they're um, investing money for the long term because they know that um, the that the, um, the economy on a longer-term basis is going to do better. Whereas at the moment, the bond market is inverted, which essentially means that people have um, been plowing their money into short-term bonds and that the price of a, a short-term bond is higher than a, a long-term bond. That is an inversion. That's a serious problem. And that's yeah. what we're seeing at the moment. Now, the bond market is starting to uninvert, but it's going in the wrong direction. It's not that the long-term bonds are coming up, it's that the short-term bonds are coming down. So you're seeing bond prices come down rather than going up. That is a serious issue. Um, and the reality is, is that when that happens, we are on course for a recession, possibly even economic depression. Yeah, and uh, it, we've seen before, haven't we, Rick, uh, the government will use statistics and manipulate them uh, to make themselves uh, look better. It certainly looks like they're doing that with the um, UK economic figures, doesn't it, Rick? Yeah, last year, uh, Chris, the Rishi Sunak made a promise that he would uh, do his level best to have inflation within the UK. That was in 2023. Now here we are uh, just into 2024. And although he says, the soundbite says from 10 Downing Street, yeah, we're, we're on target or we were making great inroads towards having inflation. The rate of inflation that they report and the rate of inflation that we're testifying to, you, myself, Natalie, just about everyone else that's listening, would seem to say otherwise because things are getting more expensive. They're not getting any cheaper are they still using this virtual shopping basket that they decide what goes into it <clears throat> excuse me as a measure of inflation or where are they plucking their figures from uh, just as we come to an end of this little chat 
I think with with the with the government, they will always they will always pluck figures out of the air that make them essentially look positive. Because ultimately, they don't want to they don't want it on their watch that the economy tanks. That's just political suicide if that happens. But you only have to look at um, other factors as well. Not only the the bond market, as we were just discussing. You need to look at um, repos, a repo fails, a repurchase agreement. So when people are essentially bankers and go and um, financial institutions are essentially making short term um, trades on on bonds um, and securities, so that they can go into the market over forty eight hour period, uh, uh, forty eight hour period, and use those bonds as securities and for collateral and make deals. Those are failing, and when those fail, that's a serious issue because with all of these sorts of things, you will have multiple participants in a daisy chain, as it were, of agreements. Um, and just in the same way that if I was to lend you um, a security, Rick, and you were to take that and you were to use that security as a way of generating capital for yourself for some sort of deal, and then you weren't able to pay me back, if I then if I then um, if I then feel the brunt of that financial pain, and I'm in a chain of deals with other people, then that's going to have a massive knock on effect. Just in the same way that when, when you're buying a house, you have a chain of people within that 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 purchase and the reality is is that if there are multiple fails going on in that system sooner or later it's going to have a massive knock-on effect the unemployment rate has been steadily increasing the velocity of money is an all-time low so these figures can sound on a short-term basis 0.3 percent growth great 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 sounds sounds positive the fundamentals are poor and this is not only in the uk basis this is global um, basis. The global economy is slowing down. The velocity of money is slowing down. People are hoarding money. They're not exchanging because they are worried about the long-term economic output. And the reality is, is that when people don't start um, exchanging money, collateral, securities, doing deals, lending, that then has a long-term knock-on effect to the global economy. And that's where we're at now. Yeah, uh, it certainly looks like uh, we are heading for a session. Thank you so much, Chris, uh, for coming on and giving us uh, your uh, expertise on the matter. And uh, we will continue to get an update on the economic status here at TNT. Uh, don't go away. We've got Jim Ferguson after the headlines and uh, we will continue to bring you more news headlines after that here at today's News Talk. What brings you here? News. News entirely. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Donald Trump has urged his supporters to brave bone-chilling temperatures and fulfil their democratic duty by voting in Monday's caucuses. Worst fears were realised in Iceland on Sunday as lava from a new volcanic eruption spilled into the town of Grindavik and North Korea claims to have successfully test-fired an intermediate-range solid-fuel ballistic missile fitted with a hypersonic warhead. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio, free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio.
Welcome back, and we would just like to introduce for the first time here on Open Line TNT Today's News Talk, uh, Jim Ferguson from the UK. He is a former parliamentary candidate uh, with the Brexit Party based in Barnsley. He's a businessman, he's an entrepreneur, and he's also founder of Freedom Train International. Uh, Jim, we've got you on here today to talk about a story uh, that you were uh, recently covering off uh, on Freedom Train International to do with uh, scandal and skullduggery concerning our very own King Charles III, the Canadian Army, and uh, some, how would you say, hazing and brutality that was going on around about Canadian soldiers not playing ball when it came to COVID restrictions or COVID mandates, etc. What's uh, What's been happening over in Canada concerning this issue? Well, good morning. Good morning, uh, fellow panellists. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. Um, yeah, it was a, quite a shocking story. I was interviewing a 25-year veteran from the Canadian Army called Tom Morazzo just a couple of days ago. Uh, he'd also been heavily active in the freedom movement in Canada. And um, we, we, during the course of the interview, he was telling me that, in fact, um, many soldiers had been punished very severely by uh, senior officers under the instructions of the Trudeau administration. And what actually happened to them was, uh, and, and we have to understand that in Canada, when we talk about cold weather, we might be complaining here in the United Kingdom about weather that's maybe two or three degrees below. But in Canada, the temperatures he was referring to were minus 30 to 40 degrees Celsius below. Uh, well, they were put into tents. Uh, their um, warm winter clothing was taken off them and they were forced to wear their dress uniforms, which are for parade purposes really only, and their heaters were removed. And this was a direct punishment because they had refused to take the COVID vaccine. And I couldn't believe it, uh, what he was telling me, but it's, it's worse than that because uh, there is now a legal action taking place by a law firm. Uh, and I'll just get the, the name for you. It's actually called um, Valor Law, based in Canada. And the solicitor involved with this is called uh, Christine Christensen. Uh, so this is very real. And uh, King Charles has been named uh, uh, in this simply because, of course, uh, part of the Commonwealth and part of the, the way that the structure is in Canada, that the troops over there... Um, they're not, it's not the same as America with the commander in chief being the president. They take their oath of allegiance to the king. Um, so the fact that the king has, has, has been implicated in this is startling. But it's not the first time that things have uh, been suggested that the king has neglected his duties. And indeed, I was just in contact with Adam Brooke from GB News, who, who, who we follow each other on Twitter, on X. And um, he had reported a story, or at least GB News had reported a story about a, a veteran from the parachute regiment who was uh, found himself in some difficulties in his you know 80s served his country with distinction decorated highly uh, but was being evicted from his flat and um, i highlighted this i i made the, the royal family aware of it uh, along with the ministry of defense and to my knowledge nothing has been done and king charles could have picked up the phone made one phone call for an old soldier who took his oath and swore allegiance to his mother queen elizabeth but to my knowledge, that hasn't happened. So there is form there, and I'm very deeply concerned about it. I come from a long line of military uh, members of, of the British Armed Forces. And uh, to think that veterans would be neglected instead of respected, especially by the Commander-in-Chief, is unacceptable to me.
Yeah, you, you're talking about uh, the treatment of veterans here. Just on an aside, I can testify of a few friends who are uh, veterans as well, and they've been treated diabolically uh, since they left the army. They've got bad PTSD. They're suffering very badly financially and also with uh, injuries uh, that they succumb to, and they've basically been cast to the side. They really have to fight to get any support whatsoever. And just uh, you mentioned there about the conditions that those soldiers were put under. You hear about beasting stories, you know, when new recruits are brought in, you know, they're beasted and they're really thrashed physically, pushed to the point uh, of no return. Sometimes people die because of heat exhaustion yes. or dehydration. It sounds to me, uh, Jim, to be honest with you, the conditions that you have described and the way that those men's uh, warm clothing was taken away, without being dramatic, that sounds like attempted murder. Those guys could have easily perished with hypothermia. Yeah, yeah. as I say, we're not talking about uh, the likes of UK temperatures. We are talking about life-threatening temperatures of minus 30 to minus 40 degrees Celsius. Uh, that's where boiling water will freeze in, in mid-air. You know, it's it's diabolical to think that, that soldiers who serve their country are prepared to lay down their lives in defense of their 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 countrymen and women and, and the people of their, their nation. And by the way, many of them were veterans from the Afghanistan uh, conflict. So these are people that, that did indeed serve their country, went into hostile situations, and to be treated with such disrespect, I think is synonymous with globalists and their attitudes uh, across the board. And we let's not forget, King Charles is very different from the previous monarch, who I had a lot of respect for. Uh, Her Majesty didn't do anything, as far as I was concerned, that was problematic. King Charles has sworn allegiance to the World Economic Forum. He is an ardent globalist. And I believe he could be very much in danger of breaking his contract with the British people. If that happens, uh, we might see the end of the monarchy. And I'm not an anti-monarchist. I've always been quite neutral about the whole thing. But such treatment of those who serve their country with honour is unacceptable. Uh, Natalie, you obviously, uh, you've talked many times, you had a best friend called Jess who lost her life during uh, the lockdown years as a result of government policies. Uh, Jim here is talking about uh, brutal treatment of soldiers within the armed forces because they wouldn't comply with mandates. People were segregated for family members here. You weren't allowed to mourn. Uh, hospital appointments were cancelled. You were made to feel like you had the bubonic plague if you didn't take uh, the, the jabs or you didn't comply with mask mandates and so social distancing. Are you seeing what Jim's saying is just another level extension to the coercion and the bullying that was going on? And it wasn't just limited, obviously, to Canada or the UK. This was happening right across the world as one big, possibly, was this the biggest bullying campaign in history, Natalie? Yeah, it's the, it's the biggest bullying and the, and the biggest scam. I was going to ask, Jim, um, in terms of Canada, we know they pushed uh, the restrictions even heavily, more heavily than here in the UK with the vaccine passports. Uh, are the Canadian citizens aware of how their soldiers were treated or has this just uh, recently been exposed? Well, there are 300 soldiers that are currently suing the Trudeau administration for the same type of reasons in terms of being forced to to be vaccinated. Uh, but but I think that they are. But but what you I, I was across in Canada about four or five weeks ago. Uh, I, I met with Tamara Litch. I met with Chris Barber. Some of these are the, the the heroes of Canada as far as the freedom movement and the freedom convoys concerned. These were very, very big and senior players in the movement. And um, I think what you'll find is that there is severe censorship going 
going on in Canada as we speak. For example, they know nothing on the national press about the farmers' protests that are happening in Germany or indeed the popular uprising that seems to be taking place in Poland. The mainstream legacy media are completely bought and paid for. And thanks, we, th thankfully, we have organisations like TNT Radio that are calling it out and uh, exposing what's going on because without them, without X, without Elon Musk and those types of media outlets, uh, the people would never know. But uh, yeah, I think that there is a lot of uh, awareness now of this happening. And I think there's more people that support the freedom convoys and the movement in Canada than there was at the very start, simply because people are waking up. Uh, it's hard to believe, Jim, that it's been four years since that. It was January or February 2022. Actually, it's been two years since that Canadian Freedom Convoy. And yet we've seen massive uprisings in the Netherlands as well and also in Germany this week. So it is encouraging to see people actually taking to the streets and actually getting through and rattling the cages of these so-called uh, government officials that are making people's lives hell right across the world. We're up to time for now. Uh, I want to say a massive thank you to you, Jim. Uh, for coming on and just uh, to direct people your way you can follow Jim on X or Twitter call it what you like at Jim Ferguson UK or please feel free to check out his website which is freedom international dot freedom train international dot org and hopefully if this wasn't too traumatic for you this won't be the last time we'll have a chat here on TNT <laughs> so big thanks to you, thank you uh, Jim. Jim for that one today yeah we've got a little <laughs> ad break as per right now so uh thank you jim much appreciated we'll be right back after this ads and the phone lines will be open you can talk to natalie and i if you so desire here on tnt today's news talk with his expert analysis and opinion this is tnt radio's timothy shea the question isn't why globalist democrat party mega donor and epstein islander reed hoffman is providing so much financial support for nikki haley's campaign the question is why is Nikki taking the money? The answer, of course, is because Nikki's uniparty. She's GOPE to her core. She's for tearing down Confederate statues and changing Confederate flags. She's for digital ID, and she's absolutely against the principles of America First. She's against shutting down foreign wars. She's against shutting down our border. She's against all the things that make America great. See, the globalists allow us to have the illusion of choice. A few window dressing differences between the parties to stimulate people to cheer for Team Red or for Team Blue. But on the issues that really matter, the financial issues that matter to them, all these politicians are all the same, regardless of whether they have an R or a D after their name. We deserve better and we need to demand better. Nikki Haley should never be allowed near the levers of power ever again. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. 
The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. Be on the lookout and alert for anything out of the ordinary. Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn. Thank you for your cooperation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Open Line. Don't forget you can call in. And I thought we'd go a bit more lighthearted with our next story. It's about bins. Now, uh, there are a lot of criminals in the UK at the moment. There are a lot of problems everywhere. But who are going to be penalised the most, Rick? It's going to be people uh, doing wrong with their bins, isn't it? Mm. The bin monitors are out in force, Natalie. There's no escaping from them either. Some nope. councils are more hardcore than others. I don't know what it's like in Reading, but where I just moved to about six months ago, they are very hard on people misusing misusing and abusing the bins. And the way it works here is you get three strikes, third strike you're out. Really? The first time the bin hookers or the bin monitors, they will open up your bin and have a look inside sometimes. And if they find, for example, a, a bottle, a plastic bottle in your general household waste, you get this huge humiliating sticker slapped on your bin that you cannot peel off no matter what. I don't know what adhesive they use, but you can't remove that thing, warning you to behave and also notifying your neighbours that you're a, a malfactor and an abuser of the bin system. If you do it three times, Natalie, they can refuse to collect your bins even though you're paying council tax. It is unbelievable. So there seems to be a, a market for uh, bin monitoring and uh, bin Nazism going on here within the UK. Yeah, and there was an article in the Daily Fail. One woman has been charged £400 uh, for putting cardboard in a bin in Brighton. We've got another man that got charged a £1,000 uh, penalty for using the wrong rubbish bins in Essex. And I thought this was this was a good one. If you didn't think your bin collections were bad enough, people in Bristol have said they had to sort their rubbish into 13 different bins. Although, when I counted it up, there was only 10 here. General household waste, cardboard, plastic, tins, glass, food and garden waste, clothing, shoes and spent batteries. So uh, this is what we've got to come. Uh, we could spend our whole lives just separating rubbish and then they don't even turn up, do they, Rick? We pay on this money and then if it's a bank holiday, you won't get your bins collected for weeks. No, and the thing is too, Natalie, I know I had a friend who worked in the, the, the local borough council of the last place that I lived in and he said, Rick, probably 60% of the recyclables that you put into your, we have a green bin or did have a green bin for recyclables in my last place. He said 60% of that gets turfed into landfill anyway. That's they what? just don't have the facility to sort this all out. And where are they going to put 10 bins anyway? I mean, we have three bins here. I think, yeah, three bins. And it's a stretch, you know, sticking them up the side of the house. If you don't have, you know, if you live in a terraced house, people have to keep their bins in the front of the house because they can't drag them through the houses. You know, they attract vermin, they attract rats. Uh, some drunk people have been known to lift them up and turf a match in there. It could set the damn house on fire. So yeah, this what happened. Remember the good old days? I don't know if you remember the old bins. They used to be metal. They used to have a metal bin lid. The bin men used to come around, used to empty them out the stank, but they got the job done. Where did it yep. all go wrong? 
Uh, Well, I think to start with, with these fines, the Department for Environmental Food and Rural Affairs say the fine should never be used as a means to raise revenue. And it looks like obviously we know the councils are struggling. So it looks like more and more people are going to be getting fines so they can uh, make some more money off us, which I just think is terrible. You know, we've we've covered a lot on this show how criminals aren't even being punished correctly. They're getting lenient sentences. And yet, if you don't recycle things correctly, you're going to get a massive fine probably more than someone who's actually uh done something against the law rick yeah. it's rather insulting yeah. isn't it it's it talk about we talked about nanny state on friday it's much of the same isn't it a slap on the it wrist is. and a big fine uh you know one guy in particular they get a get a thousand pound fine for using the wrong bin now let's say for example he decides that he doesn't want to pay that because he can't let's face it if you were slapped with a grand today for sticking a you know a, a tin of baked beans in the wrong bin, you know, would you be happy or could you afford to stump up and pay that? A lot of people would struggle to do that. And if you don't, then, you you know, you could be prosecuted for this or the fine could then start to accrue interest. You might have to go to court, you incur court fees, and then you still have to pay it at the end of the day, or you fight it in the courts, in which case you have to get a solicitor and this could drag on and cause you no amount of stress over time. It just, I can't believe that there's nothing better they can be channeling their time, energy, resources, and money into than yep. monitoring bins at the minute. But it is it is a widespread thing. I'm sure it happens in Reading. It definitely happens where I am. And then we'll have multiple stories here testifying to it that can become very financially painful if you don't comply uh, over in the UK. So uh, grim times ahead, especially if you're not a, a you know a bin goody two-shoes and you don't use the right bins all the time, it could be very expensive. Yeah, and uh, just a bloke who asked questions said, are Bidman sometimes throw the recycling and non-recycling into the same truck? Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I don't uh, disagree. I'm sure it happens all the time. And I just think if you're not jealous enough that I got Macaramac bars, uh, I live in a block of flats. And the only positive thing is they can't monitor ours because all of the uh, bins are for all of the block of flats. So they can't, if I put the wrong thing in the, in the wrong bin, uh, they can't uh, actually find out who's done it. So, you know, I might not have a garden and I might be cramped in a flat. That, but at least my bin collections are okay. So, uh, you know, uh, lots of jealousy for me today. Uh, uh, moving on, though, uh, let's uh, move on to Zambia because we do like to try and cover the whole globe here at TNT. Uh, they are struggling c- to contain a cholera crisis. Uh, what do we know about this, Rick? Well, this story here obviously is coming in from uh, Zambia, which is in the African continent. Something that we don't really have to deal with too much here uh, in Europe is cholera, horrific disease here. Uh, Funerals and family burials have now been banned. In Zambia, more emergency rules are being brought in to try and halt the spread of the disease. And this isn't something like COVID that came out where you could have it, you could become asymptomatic. This is a potentially uh, killer disease over in Zambia dealing with one of its worst cholera outbreaks in recent years. 351 dead, nearly 9,000 active cases have actually been registered. And then, of course, they have to slip this one in. Climate change has fueled heavy rains, which have contaminated drinking water in an overpopulated and impoverished urban area, most likely in the capital Lusaka of Zambia. Listen, rainy season happens twice a year, pretty much everywhere in Africa. It is not climate change. There are flash floods. The ground does get dried out. When the flash floods come, there are floods. It happens every single year. And if it is 
as a result of anything, it's a lack of infrastructure or a lack of drainage or no money's been spent by the government managing these problems. It has damn all to do with climate change. So it's sad about the cholera. Of course, so many people dead and this could spread. It could spread uh, like wildfire and kill more people. But to, to blame it on climate change, at least partially, is uh, is is ridiculous. Yeah, I did this uh, article I found in Sky News, but it, it hasn't really been covered in mainstream media. And, you know, I like to compare it to when they uh, sold the COVID story to us. You know, we had to save Granny. We then had BLM at the same time. And again, I just find it rather insulting because we've actually got a genuine crisis here. We've got people dying. Uh, they're not doing anything about it. You know, it's almost like, you know, if black lives matter, why do African lives not matter? Because really, we don't have to have a worry about cholera here in the UK uh, because we've got a good infrastructure. You know, generally, uh, our water is quite clean. It's not contaminated. But you'd think you know, if they really wanted to and black lives or African lives really did matter, couldn't they get this all over the mainstream media? Couldn't they get money being poured into Zambia? Couldn't they actually fight for a better infrastructure, Rick? Or, or am I just being silly here? No, they could, of course, they could do that if they wanted to, but the desire's not there because it's not high profile enough. And, you know, when we talk about drinking water being clean here in the UK, you know, a little diversion. If you actually, I don't know if you use a water filter or not, I must admit, I don't, I usually buy bottled water, but if you put your tap water through a water filter, Natalie, if yeah. you saw the crud seen the that comes out of that, you would think twice. And of course, you're not completely safe here because remember the bards, the Bibby Stockholm bards, the infamous bards. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening with that now, but they had to shut it down at one point because of Legionnaires' disease breaking out in the water supply. To Have the, you ever uh, heard of anywhere immigrants. else with Legionnaires, by the way, apart from that barge? No. Apart from no, the Bibby Stockholm Barge. <laughs> so that was like a little version of Lusaka. Zambia was the Bibby Stockholm Barge where the water supply could be potentially fatal. But we, we, we are very fortunate, you know, and when you hear about things like this, or if you've ever been there, you know, and you have to see what people have to go through to get clean water, walk to a well, pump the water out, carry it home, boil it over a fire that you make by hand, then wait all day for the damn thing to cool down before you can drink it again. It's an almighty pain in the ass. And then, of course, you could end up getting cholera with contamination here too. So grim story. But no, it's got nothing to do with climate change. And uh, yeah, uh, think twice, folks, before drinking your local council tap water. Believe you me, you could end up with uh, all sorts inside you. I was surprised, though, that the article didn't uh, name any kind of vaccines or World Health Organization. Mm. They managed to keep that out of it, Rick. Uh, I thought they were going to say this is because they aren't, haven't uh, got enough vaccines there, but they uh, decided to blame uh, co uh, climate change instead this time, uh, you know, keeping on one side of the gender at least. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, too, it's very unusual these days, Natalie, to see any kind of mainstream coverage for any story that doesn't try and drop in its climate change. This is what will happen if we don't take steps to save the planet. This is what will happen if we don't use the right bins. If you're contaminating yeah. your bins, you're contributing to climate change. That's why we have to fine you 400 quid or a grand for using the wrong bin. It's nothing to do with punishing you. We're just trying to save the planet. Yeah. It's for the greater good. It's for all everyone. You must comply, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a, it's a melt. Yeah. It's a melt.
I now understand it, you see, because that the reason that the woman was fined four hundred pound and the man a thousand pound is because they're it's their fault that there's cholera in Zambia. Those people mm -hmm. not using the right bins, Rick. Mm -hmm. They are actually killing people, isn't that indirectly. right? That's that's what they it, yeah indirectly they're they're murderers. Indirectly. They're, 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 they're the, murderers. These, these, the, the stone cold these killers. Are bin mud. Yep, that's what that's so, what they're uh, doing. And then, in fact, they got off lightly with that fine. That 400 quid should have been 4,000 pounds to really deter her and teach her a lesson and save the lives of villagers in Lusaka, in Zambia. Don't contaminate your bins, folks. Africans will die. That's a fact. Yes, it's, it's a fact. We've said it here on TNT. Uh, you know, behave, sort your bins out while I don't because I don't need to. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that's the way it is. Um, and we've got another story uh, before we go. Uh, it's always worth mentioning this uh, because uh, it's not a big surprise. Tony Blair has been accused of being corrupt. You don't say. Mm. I thought that was just uh, understood by most people now in the world and certainly in the UK. They say about the post office scandal that Tony Blair was warned the system could be flawed when he become prime minister. Are you surprised, Rick? Because I certainly am not. Not at all. And, you know, this is something, well, since the start of the year, for the last two weeks, we've been covering a lot to do with the uh, Horizon, Fujitsu, post office scandal, the fallout to that. We've had guests on the show here that have been victims. We have uh, next star, actually, I have a chap coming on, Sean Parker, and we're going to be talking about one story in particular uh, linked into the post office. Now we're getting names being dragged in. We've had people stripped of titles. Rishi Sunak has came out and said this could be one of the biggest miscarriages of justice in British history. Everybody seems to be weighing in on this, including uh, David Cameron, who allegedly also was briefed on this, but claims he doesn't have any recollection of it. And now we have Tony Blair. Uh, the headline here reads, former Labour Prime Minister Sir Tony Blair was warned on the 9th of December 1998, so mathematically, what's that, 16 years ago, uh, by a Downing Street special advisor that the Horizon IT system could be flawed before it was rolled out acro across the entire post office, a document show. So these prime ministers, it doesn't matter who they are or what Egypts or imbeciles they are, they have a massive advisory team, Natalie. They have special advisors. They have uh, correspondents that are feeding things back to them from everywhere. They're briefed every day. They don't have time to get into the minutiae of what's going on in the world. But every morning, for example, they would be handed a dossier to say, okay, Natalie, here, here it is in a nutshell. This is what's happening in Europe. This is what's happening in Ukraine. This is something you need to keep an eye out for. And there's a record here that uh, Blur was warned back in 98 about this. The possibility of uh, dodgy software with Horizon, yet he ignored it. So uh, no surprise there. Probably uh, he turned a blind eye. Maybe he was, uh, how would you say, incentivized to do that? I don't know. But yeah, Tony Blair plus corruption equals no surprise. Well, he's put a statement out saying uh, that he uh, doesn't. Uh, he took the issue very seriously, uh, I think, and but it, basically he's uh, denying denying that uh, he knew anything about it. But then again, we can't believe anything Tony Blair has to say. He's like the devil incarnate. Uh, but something in the article that was interesting is that at the time, the system Horizon was being developed as a way of paying welfare benefits with a swipe card. Uh, Lord Mandelson had said, and that's why Labour had pushed it so much. But that didn't actually end up happening, and it was only dead 
get used to manage transactions, accounts and stock taking in the end. So uh, that probably is part of the problem that uh, Horizon wasn't supposed to actually be mainly for what it was ended up using for. And that's the first time I've read that. So it was supposed to be a way of paying benefits, but didn't actually end up happening, Rick. When you think about the amount of things that the government has done over the last what four years now that, that weren't fit for purpose or squandered huge amounts of money and things that weren't fit for purpose you think about the so-called test and trace system with the nhs uh you know to, to monitor covid infections 37 billion spaffed away in that you read about michelle moan not monet moan uh, baroness moan she does like uh, to moan made, Oh, hundreds of millions and now she's playing the victim card oh you're demonizing us uh, she made hundreds of millions off the back of ppe contracts uh, you know matt hancock's local pub landlord he got a huge ppe contract as well despite being a local pub landlord skullduggery shenanigans and lies 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 blur weapons of mass destruction invasion of iraq there was no weapons of mass destruction it was all based on a lie and yet the man is still walking free where someone like julian assange for example is languishing in belmarsh rotting away for exposing some of the murder that happened as a result of the like of blur and bush's lies yeah tony blair funded by bill and melinda gates of course mm -hmm. uh, it's time for us to come to an end I have been Natalie Chill. This has been Open Line. And uh, Rick is going to stay on, of course, for Locked and Loaded. He's got guests galore, so don't miss that. And I will be back tomorrow at the same time at 9 o'clock at today's News Talk. Bye-bye.